Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or Adult ADHD, is a mental health disorder that affects up to 5% of Americans. Statistics are hard to come by, and facts about Native Americans with adult ADHD are pretty much non-existent. But Native people are among the increasing numbers of adults seeking treatment. Coming up after the news, we talk about what adult ADHD is, how it affects the lives of those who have it, and what diagnosis and treatment look like. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick and for Antonio Gonzalez. The first Native American U.S. Interior Secretary, Deb Holland, will be in western Montana Saturday to help celebrate the return of the bison range to the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes. MTPR's Aaron Bolton has more. The tribes earlier this year officially took over management of the bison range, which was illegally taken by the U.S. federal government in the early 1900s. Holland is scheduled to speak at the Salish Kootenai College Saturday afternoon. Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs Brian Newland, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services Director Martha Williams, and Montana Lieutenant Governor Kirsten Juris will be on hand as well to celebrate the return of the land with CSKT leaders. CSKT spokesperson Shane Morgeau. Um, for us at CSKT, this is a step forward in the right direction. It was really right and wrong in our history, and um, we're happy to be reunited with our bison herd and uh, the lands out there and the resources. The celebration will take place on Saturday. A community lunch in powwow will be held at the bison range on Friday as well. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. Members of the Narragansett Indian tribe will have free access to the beach in Massachusetts that bears the tribe's name. The Providence Journal reports the Narragansett Town Council narrowly approved the measure after a contentious four-hour public meeting this week. The popular beach typically requires a $12 access fee plus parking. The measure was unpopular with many of the town's residents who say the beach is already overcrowded. Resident Joe Cardello reflected many people's opinion that the action is poorly thought out. To give a blanket 3000 I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the Indians or anybody else. But I will tell you this. If you're going to give anybody a free pass, it should be the taxpayers of this town. Because we pay the taxes. Narragansett tribal member Bella Noka reminded those at the meeting that the word Narragansett is not a town or a beach, but the name of a thriving nation. She says access is not about recreation or sunbathing. That is where we go to Grandfather Ocean in ceremony. Your homes, your big, beautiful homes, you dug up our ancient burial grounds to build them. The original idea came up during a roundtable meeting in February with tribal members and others. A trial is underway in Alberta where two white men are charged with the murder of two Métis hunters two years ago. Roger Billadeau and his son Anthony Billadeau shot and killed Jacob Sansom and his uncle Maurice Cardinal after an encounter along a country road. The Billadeaus forced the confrontation because they suspected the two indigenous men were thieves. The two men did not call authorities following the shooting. Attorneys say the defendants opened fire in self-defense. 
In California, the state Senate confirmed the first Native American to hold a district judgeship. Courthouse News reports Sunshine Suzanne Sykes was confirmed by a vote of 51 to 45. She would also be the first Article III judge in the country who is a member of the Navajo Nation. Article III judges have lifetime appointments on federal, district, and circuit courts, as well as the Supreme Court. Sykes was previously a judge on the Superior Court of Riverside County in California. And the University of California Berkeley School of Law announced it will cover all tuition for current and future students who are both California residents and members of federally recognized tribes. Reuters reports administrators say they want to make Berkeley Law a destination for Native American students. They hope to expand the program to students from federally recognized tribes who are not California residents. Native Americans made up just 1% of first-year law students around the country this academic year. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Amerig, the 100% tribally owned insurance partner working with tribal governments and enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian country. Info at Amerind.com. The Indian Loan Guarantee and Insurance Program has worked with lenders for almost 50 years, supporting them as they support you. Need startup funds or a refinance? Information at bia.gov dci, which supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. If you know anything about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD, you most likely associate it with children. That's because children are most likely to be diagnosed with a developmental disorder. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimated as many as 6.1 million children were confirmed to have ADHD in 2016. But older people are also living with the disorder. And adults navigating symptoms like trouble focusing and planning, impulsivity, and mood swings might have a harder time dealing with everyday social and work life. In this hour, we're talking about adult ADHD, diagnosis, and treatment. You can join our conversation. If you are an adult living with ADHD, tell us how it affects you. When were you diagnosed? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Here at Native America Calling, we like to have discussions about health topics, but we must advise you to see your regular doctor if you have specific questions and concerns about your own health. Our first guest is joining us from Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Jackie Vorpal is a clinical psychologist and a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Jackie, ADHD seems like we hear so much about this condition with children and as we mentioned in the intro, but now older people too. When did adult ADHD first come under the radar of mental health professionals? Well, it's always been on the radar, but people thought that children outgrew it when actually you don't outgrow it. It's how your mind is wired. You can learn how to live with it and your brain is very... um, plasticity, and it can learn how to adapt. 
Is there a known cause for adult ADHD? Well, people would have it during childhood and maybe it just went undiagnosed. Um, but risk factors include if you, um, you know, if your mother smoke or drink or use drugs during pregnancy, or if you're exposed to some toxins like lead, or maybe even been born prematurely. And you also have an increased rate of having ADHD if another family member has it. And what are some of the symptoms of ADHD? Well, the classic symptoms are distractibility, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. But there's also the inattentiveness that goes unnoticed for a longer period of time. Usually, it's the hyperactivity or impulsivity that gets on the radar of folks. Um, so people lose things. Um, they daydream or zone out. Um, maybe people talk excessively without stopping, um, you know, have a hard time following directions. And um, this impacts all across um, home, school, work, um, relationships. So paying attention and attending to, um, to things can be very difficult. Jackie, when I think of these symptoms, the impulsiveness, the challenges with multitasking, it seems like many adults might experience similar behaviors. And myself, for example, I know I struggle <laughs> with time management and multitasking, sometimes planning and follow through. At what point does a person cross the line from what some might simply call bad habits to a diagnosed mental disorder such as ADHD? Well, that's a great question because so many of us have, um, you know, these different symptoms, but there's a categories of symptoms that you have to meet criteria for. And that's why so many people will say, oh, I'm so ADHD today and kind of throw this language around when really it has to interfere with your daily life. You're noticing it's interfering with, you know, holding a job or with your relationships that, you know, these things are really getting in your way. Yeah, I agree with that. It's almost like a, a self-deprecating kind of humorous remark. Oh, that's my ADHD coming out or something like that. But this is a serious uh -huh. condition. Uh -huh. And do people need to be more mindful of that when they just throw terms like that out there casually? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is how a person's brain is wired. And there are also very positive attributes to um, you know, having a brain that's wired in this ADHD way. Um, so it's important to be able to recognize it's not this person's fault, because I think people get labeled lazy or they don't care or, uh, you know, they're just, um, you know, not interested when that's really not the case. And so that can really give rise to, you know, people feeling shame and fear, low self-esteem and just doubting themselves. Yeah, certainly. And um, I'm interested in learning more these positive attributes. What are those that are associated with ADHD? So creativity and spontaneity are is one or a couple that, you know, people can think out of the box and they're very good at problem solving in ways that aren't typical. Uh, typically, people have lots of energy and um, when they get focused, they can hyper focus on things. They get so engrossed in things that they love that no form of distraction really bothers them. Um, and um, and so that's really 
something that perplexes people. It's like, well, how can you be so focused on this and then not be able to focus on these other things? And so that can that can make people say, you know what, I, I think it's just because you don't want to focus on that. So there is no correlation between ADHD and things like intelligence, right? Actually, people with higher IQs are more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. They are. That's really fascinating. Uh-huh. Well, you'll hear sometimes about really successful people, um, like inventors and some of these uh-huh. really inspiring tech figures that that have issues like that. That's, I mean, that happened. That's somewhat common, isn't it? It's very common, and I think what it is is learning how to embrace these strengths and knowing what you need for support and being able to, you know, balance those two things rather than feeling ashamed, you know, being able to say, you know, sometimes I have, I zone out. So what are ways that I can help myself, um, you know, in those situations, or maybe I lose track of time. So I need to make sure that I'm putting a timer on my phone. So there are those kinds of things that that you embrace, hey, this is how my brain is wired, so you can really accent these strengths and be successful. These symptoms that you described, are those going to be similar to what a child with ADHD suffers from, or are they different in an an adult? Well, they're similar, but they're expressed differently because we're older. Um, So, you know, We can have low frustration tolerance and how that is um, expressed in a kid versus an adult, that's going to look different. Mood swings are going to look a little bit different in kids and adults, but you're going to see some of these same, um, you know, you'll see the same symptom, but it's the expression. And that's why it's so important to, um, you know, diagnosed at a young age because the brain is so adaptable and can really learn how to manage some of these symptoms that can be difficult. Okay. And Jackie, I used to hear the term ADD, attention deficit disorder. Is that the same thing as ADHD? Good question. Yes. So I think that's just kind of in the media. Um, ADD Basically, people refer to people with inattentive um, type versus hyperactivity type. But when I'm diagnosing, it's all ADHD. I just give a specific type of ADHD. Okay. Thanks for that clarification. And let's talk more about the diagnosis. What does it look like? Um, You mean the symptoms? Well, let's say somebody has... um, they have concerns. They think, well, maybe I have ADHD. They go see a provider such as yourself. What is the process for diagnosing it? Well, a very good structured interview. And the tricky thing with ADHD is that different um, issues like anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, they can all have um, mimicking symptoms. So it's important to be able to rule those out. Also, substance abuse issues. Um, So being able to rule those things out is very important. So let's say somebody's coming in and they are showing 
lots of signs of anxiety and depression and also signs of ADHD. You know, you can do a good uh, structured interview and history in order to come up with a diagnosis. You can also recommend neuropsych testing if you're really feeling like I'm really not sure. Um, but the neuropsych testing can really help us understand how the brain is working and can um, help with uh, diagnoses. Now, there aren't a lot of statistics regarding adult ADHD, and there are really none that focus on Native Americans. But how prevalent do you think this is in Native communities and communities of color in general? I think it's prevalent. I think it's more prevalent than we are giving credence to because it's it's labeled as something else, right? Or it's going untreated. Um, so many people with substance use disorders are um, actually self-medicating some symptoms of ADHD. So there's a much higher level of using nicotine, alcohol, marijuana, or cocaine in relation to ADHD. So I would say, you know, there's many more people that are walking around with adult ADHD than we know. Mm -hmm. Well, that is the focus of our conversation today on Native America Calling Adult ADHD. And if you have a question or a comment, please give us a call 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we will be back right after a short break. Not every Native community has a bank where people can open an account, an ATM to make a deposit or withdraw cash, or a financial institution that offers home loans, credit cards, and other types of consumer credit. We'll talk about what some tribes and Native-led organizations are doing to bridge the gap. That's on the next Native America Calling. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not going to be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Welcome back. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about ADHD today. If you have a question about ADHD, you're welcome to call in and ask. Our number, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest is speaking with us from Billings, Montana. Dr. Alan Ostby is a behavioral health consultant for the Billings Area Office of the Indian Health Service. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sean. Well, earlier we were listening to Jackie explain some of the symptoms, talk about the risk factors associated with adult ADHD, the diagnosis. I'd like to learn more about the treatment. How does that work? Well, first of all, I want to thank Jackie. She did a very thorough job of uh, discussing diagnosis and 
uh, some of the complications of diagnosis. Um, now, uh, the, just to, to kind of give a quick outline of treatment, you know, the first line of treatment uh, are uh, stimulants uh, like Ritalin or Adderall. Uh, second line of treatments are the non-stimulants. Um, one is Stratera, uh, others are, are guanfacine and clonidine. Uh, that have some similar mechanism, mechanisms of action. Um, and then uh, another area of treatment that is uh, growing quite rapidly are, are alternative treatments are uh, digital uh, therapeutics and devices that uh, some of them are, are FDA approved now and they can be <clears throat> uh, used even while asleep uh, for some of them. Um, there's uh, the research showing that they do um, result in some positive brain changes. Um, the mindfulness-based programs uh, in, are also shown in research to be helpful with uh, essentially training attention um, and activating the relaxation response in the body. Uh, one of the things that Jackie talked about is with anxiety that you know, many of the symptoms of ADHD are the same as anxiety. And obviously, if, if we're really highly anxious, we're not going to be able to attend uh, as well. Or uh, if we're depressed, uh, another uh, uh, diagnosis that occurs with some high degree of frequency is post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, that is, in a, it is an anxiety disorder. Uh, I thought that it's important to also mention the uh, uh, aspect of historical trauma that has um, gained a lot of study, um, a lot of study by a native uh, uh, American psychologists and professionals uh, establishing the intergenerational effects of historical trauma. And I, I mentioned that getting a little bit back into diagnosis, but um, one of the aspects of, of trauma or post-traumatic stress disorder is dissociation. And uh, the idea is that when our uh, coping skills are overwhelmed that uh, we tend to dissociate or let's say check out as a way of defending uh, against overwhelming uh, anxiety. And mm -hmm. uh, so that dissociation can uh, look very much like inattention or also, uh, you know, common defenses against um, uh, feeling uh, really depressed or anxious, or one is withdrawal and one is agitation. Um, so again, then we get the two sides of ADHD. So the diagnosis um, really needs to be very uh, in-depth in that respect to differentiate. So getting back into treatment, um, the mindfulness-based programs uh, activate the relaxation response in the body that um, is you know there's a nervous system between the brain and all of the internal organs. It's been very well researched. Is the autonomic nervous system mm -hmm. has two branches, 
the fight or flight system is the sympathetic branch and the relaxation system is the parasympathetic branch. And it's important okay. to uh, be aware that those are nerve pathways and that we're shifting into that pathway and that mindfulness okay. is essentially a training of attention. Go ahead, Sean. Okay. Okay, Alan, I'm sorry. I just, you know, it's, it's interesting, this whole conversation, and earlier we heard Jackie mention how it's, it's how the brain is wired that really is what produces this ADHD in people. And I'm curious because you, we're talking also about historical trauma. You mentioned PTSD. And I'm wondering, is this something that a person is born with from day one and the symptoms can just manifest themselves later in life or it can go undiagnosed, untreated? Or is it something that a person could acquire later in life? Is, it, is that possible as well? Well, as Jackie mentioned, I think it could be all of the above, that I think it is all of the above, that uh, we could be born with a uh, uh, predisposition to ADHD that uh -huh. uh, could come out in terms of uh, life experiences or um, trauma, uh, drug use, different things could uh, change the brain and the wiring of the brain so that we'd acquire it later in life. Okay. Let's go to the phones. We've got David listening in Aquina, Massachusetts online. David, you're on the air. Oh, thank you very much for, uh, for, for uh, getting me online, uh, Sean. Um, um, my name is David, and um, this question for Jackie. And um, I seem to have, you know, a lot of the symptoms um, like um, PTSD and um, and um, you know most of the symptoms that, that were uh, that were mentioned. But also also um, I tend to uh, be forgetful um, quite a bit. Um, not long term. My long term memory is good, but my short term memory doesn't seem to be very well. Um, and um, and um, uh, Maybe besides besides the you know um, uh, seeing a, a therapist, um, is there um, is there anything else that can be recommended for um, for uh, some kind of treatment? Also um, to um, you know some herbs or or anything else like that that that, that could help out in um, in in maintaining um you know maintaining my marriage basically no <laughs> just kidding but no that too but maintaining my um you know my being a hundred percent and and focused okay all right david thanks for calling in and i do want to remind our listeners that we cannot diagnose people over the radio but let's go ahead and have jackie respond and if i'm gathering correctly there are essentially two approaches to the treatment. There's, there are the meds that we've learned more about from Alan, and there's also this mindfulness approach, which has some of these alternative methods. So Jackie, could you respond to caller David's questions with a little more information on how some of these more mindful treatment methodologies might work? Sure. So thanks for the question, David. So mindful uh, techniques are in line with our indigenous ways. So getting outside, moving your body is really great for this busy mind that um, ADHD minds are wired for. 
And also just being curious, that sense of awe is important, getting out, and that is mindfulness. Like the right now it's spring and the birds are out, they're hatching, and just noticing everything around. That's practicing mindfulness. And um, there are other treatments that are not medication-based, but we may want to include medication-based in conjunction with indigenous ways so the medication can really help and it doesn't and it can help your brain just really fire the way it it can be helpful Uh, you can also use foods that are high in protein not so many carbohydrates or sugars because that's not great for the brain so there are a lot of um, things that you can do to help you know, give yourself that ability and just the mindfulness breathing can help rewire the brain by stimulating that vagus nerve inside of you and uh, your mind will wander and you'll just bring it back to the breath. But those are a few ideas. Thank you, Jackie. Our next guest is joining us from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Dr. Larry Chavis. He's an economist at the University of North Carolina and immediate former director of the American Indian Center, where he received eagle feathers from both the Lumbee and Kohari tribes. He's Lumbee. Larry, welcome to the show. Hello, Sean. Hello, um, everyone, Alan and Jackie and uh, David. Larry, when did you first realize you needed to get checked out and diagnosed for ADHD? Actually, well, let me first say, and and you're very brave to have someone with ADHD on because I'm got, like the tendency to go all over the place is great. <laughs> uh, so I've been sitting here waiting, like trying not to zone out. Um, but w- it actually speaks to your uh, the caller David's question. Um, is I've been doing uh, therapy for um, anger management and just trying to um, get my career going, some career counseling. Um, And eventually it came up in marriage therapy, like, oh, maybe you should be, you know, have this checked out. And when I met with uh, my psychologist that I was already talking with about uh, depression and was taking uh, some medicines for that, uh, Zoloft in particular, um, we started thinking, oh, yeah, ADHD uh, is a thing for you. And uh, it was really, you know, I started reading a book, The ADHD Effect on Marriage, and trying to realize the effect that it had on my wife of, say, uh, saying, I'll be home in half an hour. I'm almost done with work. And then, uh, as Jackie was saying, get engrossed in what I was doing and look up, and it's an hour and a half later. Um, and so that's where I really started, is trying to, yeah, protect my marriage and, and be a better husband and father. And when those results came back and the doctor diagnosed you with ADHD, what was your initial reaction? It was really liberating in a lot of ways because it explained that was, I was probably, I'm 52 now, I was probably 47 or 48. Um, And it explained a lot of things that have been happening throughout life. At one point I was a graduate student in anthropology and I just couldn't read the three books a week that you need to, you know, um, read for anthropology graduate courses. Uh, and I eventually moved to economics. And I felt like I was, you know, kind of drowning in that and not doing well. And eventually moved to economics, which is much more problem-oriented, 
short problems, you can solve one, work with some people, move on to the next. So that kind of explained like, and helped me understand a lot about my career, helped me not feel bad as bad about not getting tenure here at UNC Chapel Hill, because the focus of getting tenure is on staying in your office by yourself, doing some research, writing. But I was out supporting students and engaging with community. And some of that is being, you know, a native person, being Lumbee. But some of it was just, I couldn't sit there. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think so often what we think of as a model student or a model employee is somebody that really can follow directions. And the world, I think, is really structured in a way that uh, rewards people for being able to follow orders or instructions and, and fall into line like that. And a person that has ADHD is is going to fall through some of those cracks and I would think at times be at a at a real disadvantage but we also heard Jackie mention how some of the benefits or some of the you know some very very intelligent people have ADHD uh really acute problem solving skills the hyper focus do you enjoy some of those uh special qualities as well I I think so um you know it, when I'm in the classroom um and in front of the class I've one, I've been engrossed in preparing, and and two, like everything's racing through my mind, and I'm building connections. And I, I think I, you know, I've, I've won five teaching awards now, teaching economics and making people do uh, derivatives and calculus and and weird stuff like that. But I, but I can also apply that to things happening in the real world and make it very tangible for them. And then it also, at the same time, I'm liable to say impulsive things like. Uh, about my love for rap music or my support for two-spirit folks or, you know, whatever has been happening in my life. So there, the, there's an authenticity about my spirit that comes through as well. And so it just really helps me be engaged with my students. Um, and, and I think they appreciate that. Well, Larry, congratulations on your career success. And you actually share your diagnosis with your students, right? What's their reaction? Oh, yeah. I. Uh, you know, and trying to get through 2020 and 2021 and thinking about what I could do to make the world a better place, I started putting my diagnosis in my faculty bio. If you look up Larry Chavis at UNC, I talk about AD, ADHD and anxiety in that. Um, I've written a, place, a, a piece online about um, depression and, and struggling with that. And then, yeah, I talk about it to my students in class. And, and for them, it's like, I, I'm trying to show professors as real people, you know, as, you know, I have strengths, I have weaknesses, I have challenges just like they do. And I want to inspire them, particularly uh, students from the margins, uh, from marginalized communities to that they can do this, right? They, you're going to have those challenges. We're carrying around that historical trauma. I could definitely go through all of that from execution of family members by Civil War soldiers on and on that have just, you know, that's, that I still carry around. Uh, and I try to just inspire them, like you can achieve your goals um, and you don't have to be perfect to do that. You're, you're not, like I'm not perfect. One of my ears is hard another. I got ADHD, like it's okay. Mm -hmm. I suffer from one ear higher than the other as well. It, it really drives us problems when I try and wear baseball caps and things like that. Right. So let's go back to the, to the source, Larry, because it was originally uh, a marriage therapy that got you... Uh, mm -hmm. That, that, that motivated you to do this. So how had, have there been benefits to, to your marriage as a result of your diagnosis? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, 
I mean, little, just little strategies like both Alan and, and Jackie talked about. Like now with my, for a long time, I wondered why am I wearing this Apple watch? The biggest thing for me is setting a timer. Like if I say I'm going to be home in a little while, then I set that timer. When that thing goes off, I may snooze at five minutes, but that's not getting lost for an hour. Um, and, and so little things like that and trying to be mindful of what my wife is saying when she's talking to me, right? Like so that I'm not uh, zoned out because I think there's a tendency for spouses or other people close to folks that have ADHD to feel like um, I'm not paying attention to her, that I don't love her, that I'm not engaged. And we've been married almost 30 years and, you know, man, she means the world to me. And I don't want to, I don't want my actions to come across as if she doesn't. And so that's what what I've been really focused on. Sure, sure. Well, we do have to take a short break, but Larry, when we come back, I want to learn more about the treatment that you are going through for ADHD. Listeners, so we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Native America Calling. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about adult ADHD, and there's still time to join the conversation. If you're comfortable talking about how you are affected by ADHD or how you manage it, give us a call. Join the conversation, 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that's 1-800-996-2848. Before break, we were talking with Dr. Larry Chavis, and he was explaining uh, how he deals with adult ADHD. He talked about his his very happy marriage going on over 30 years, his successful career in academia as a professor. And Larry, tell us now about your treatment. What does that look like? Yeah, so I basically uh, see two uh, doctors uh, regularly, one doctor and a, a social worker, uh, a therapist with a background in social work. Um, for the psychiatrist, it's some talk therapy, but mainly uh, medication management. Uh, I do take um, Adderall, the, one of the stimulants that um, Alan mentioned, and um, and then have also take, taken Zoloft for uh, help with uh, depression, some of the anxiety, and and then also the the talk therapy with my uh, therapist. Uh, we focus on a lot of things, mindfulness. That has also I've been men- mentioned. Just trying to identify where the feelings I'm having uh, are coming from. And, and actually, I was able to have a great, uh, just by being open, as we mentioned before with my students, uh, a great conversation with uh, an Indigenous a woman a student uh, recently about, you know, just giving her some tips for dealing with the, the stresses of school. And I talked about being mindful and identifying, like, where the feelings are coming from. So there's an email I'm still carrying around in my head that I haven't answered from like three years ago of a friend that I really want to write to. And I got uh, some grading that's a little behind over here and I need to think about what to grill for dinner. And, you know, there's some bigger things going on as well. But once I start to pull those things apart, none of those 
particularly smaller things, you know, it's like, okay, I'll make a list, uh, which, you know, to try to keep track of that. And I'll come back and I'll, and I'll do that later. And I can take it out of my mind and, and put it down on paper. So get it, learning strategies like that. Uh, I've done some workshops on both time management uh, and ADHD. Um, and then learning from other folks, learning other people's strategies, using uh, organiz organizational apps, uh, and taking, again, not lots of notes, stickies, things, anything like that that I can try to do to take some of those things out of my mind and, and just uh, get them down on paper. Mm -hmm. Alan, uh, let's talk a little bit more about Native Americans and ADHD. And you mentioned earlier historical trauma. Are there other cultural factors when diagnosing or treating ADHD among Native Americans that we need to consider? Well, other than historical trauma, I did mention uh, the PTSD. And uh, of course, they're related, but I think there's a very high incidence of PTSD. Um, you know, there are the, the daily microaggressions of racism that almost all Native Americans uh, experience. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the socioeconomic uh, uh, plight of uh, many uh, Native Americans, you know, I work on reservations in Montana and Wyoming, uh, that creates uh, a daily stress. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's there's a a, a large crossover. Uh, if, okay. But okay. I, I want to, if I could, uh, if I could, Sean, just to mention a couple of other things about treatment. Um, sure. There's also cognitive there's cognitive behavioral uh, training protocols for working with ADHD that have been shown to be affected. Um, there's also computer games to train attention. Um, and, uh, and I mentioned the digital therapeutic devices um, that uh, work a lot with biofeedback. But one of the most important things and positive things that I wanted to really emphasize is that uh, the treatment for ADHD can really help people with resolving anxiety and depressive disorders at times, because you know I've worked with many people who have very severe inattention to the extent that they have trouble participating in conversations because there's so many things going on, they can't track what's being said. And so uh, that leads to often to embarrassment, it leads to social isolation. And uh, so there are many benefits to successful treatment. And um, the uh, the, the stimulants, as I say, are the first-line treatment. I, I, uh, I do prescribe medications uh, as a, a medical psychologist, but I don't, as a knee-jerk reaction, use the stimulants. But uh, that being said, I have many patients that have had tremendous benefits, not just with uh, attention or hyperactivity, but feeling uh, much uh, happier in their lives and a higher quality of life. With, with successful treatment. Okay. Well, thank you, Alan. And Jackie, I want to ask you, I, I do on this show, I have to play devil's advocate uh, from time to time. And, and I have heard some argue that 
ADHD is diagnosed too often today, especially among children. And people argue it's not only unfair, but it's not always helpful to diagnose to diagnose ADHD in many cases. And Jackie, what's your thought on that opinion? I disagree. I believe that ADHD is underdiagnosed most of the time. I think there are cases that it's diagnosed incorrectly, but I think that's just the media kind of blowing it out of proportion because like Alan was saying, you know, many people struggle with these symptoms and when it's approached um, effectively, people feel better. You know, they have a good idea of what's happening inside of them. They feel more grounded. Mm -hmm. Well, and so often in native... I'm sorry, go ahead, Jackie. I think parents can be scared of a diagnosis. Um, I liked your question um, to, oh gosh, I can't think of his name, Randy, right? Um, And because it's like different people are going to have different reactions to a diagnosis. Um, But being able to know what's going on and how you can be helped is grounding. Yes. And I think the reason sometimes parents react the way they do is because unfortunately there are stigmas that are attached to conditions like ADHD. And I think so often in native communities, as in other populations, mental and behavioral health issues, they aren't always talked about openly. And is it harmful, Jackie, when we avoid conversations like the one we're having today about ADHD? Yes, because that's how shame grows and that's how stigma grows rather than just being able to say, hey, this is how my brain works. I'm glad to understand how my brain is working. Now I can, you know, look at the strengths that my brain has and really capitalize them and put in some strategies on the things that I'm struggling with. But if we're not talking about it, it gives children and other people the idea that there's something wrong with us, that we're bad, you know, that, um, you know, we're broken in some way. And people with ADHD aren't broken. Yeah, I'm really glad you you stressed that point because we really want to make that clear on our show today for sure. And earlier we talked about the process of diagnosis and and both you and Alan mentioned that it has to be a very rigorous uh, conversation and really talking at length with with the person and and getting a lot of information about them and their behavior. About how long does that process take from when somebody first comes in and seeks consultation with a clinical psychologist such as yourself and the time you can actually make an accurate diagnosis? Well, if somebody's coming in for an ADHD, um, you know, evaluation, that may not take that long, especially in children, because we're sending out forms to people, teachers, we're sending out forms to parents. And if if the child is old enough, they can fill out the forms as well. And then um, I use a, a a computer program called TOVA, which is an objective measure of attention. And so you put all those things together and you can come up with a diagnosis, which, you know, may mean, you know, uh, you know, a few weeks. Um, But if it's more complicated, you may need a neuropsych evaluation, which could take longer uh, because it's involving many more um, tests. You, you know, if you've known the person a while, 
you know, you can do a structured interview because you have an idea of what's going on. And um, like what, what was previously said, people may be in treatment and have been treated for anxiety or depression. And because the symptoms have overlapped so much, ADHD has been overlooked. And with that, then, you know, the diagnosis can happen very quickly. And Jackie, do people, are they more likely to come to you and say, hey, I I think I might have ADHD. Can you check me out? Or is it more a matter of them coming in with symptoms and then you connect the dots to make the diagnosis? Well, it's both ways because I offer both services. So, uh, but in general, I would say people are coming in for anxiety or depression and thinking, you know, this is just how I am, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. And, um, and then as the anxiety starts alleviating, these symptoms remain. Um, And like Alan said, sometimes if we're treating the ADHD, then the anxiety or depression or PTSD symptoms will, um, you know, decrease. So it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Got it. Larry, what advice would you have to someone else who has concerns? They might also be living with adult ADHD. Um, Yeah, I would say engage in, I mean, you can start wherever you're comfortable. Start reading about it, uh, uh, thinking about the symptoms, talk with folks, see uh, professional therapists, counselors. Um, You know, just, I, I think there's a fear in our communities that if you get you know, plugged in with a psychiatrist or psychologist that it's going to like take you in a direction you don't want to go, but people are there to help and support you um, and, and helping where you want to get to. And, and just, uh, it, it can be, as Jackie was mentioning, just such a, a, a grounding process, just a, a very affirmative uh, process. I'll, I'll also add as an, as an educator and as a parent for children, um, and even, you know, on into college, especially in college and high school as things get harder, you know, having a formal diagnosis can, you know, uh, get you extra benefits that you are uh, entitled to, right? That uh, extra time on test, a quiet place to take a test by yourself, many accommodations. We give accommodations regularly to students. Uh, they're here on campus. There's a whole office to support students in that. and you know, I think our communities don't take advantage of that in the way we should, but it's something that, you know, is very helpful. And, and again, uh, to Jackie's point about stigma, part of the reason I have it in my faculty bio is to just try to, yeah, let's, let's get rid of that stigma and, and be open about uh, what our um, strengths are. It is my superpower as well, but, but it, it, sometimes it means that, yeah, I can zone out a little. <laughs> um. So that's interesting that there are services, there are exceptions that are made for students that that have ADHD in terms of taking tests and things like that. So would a student need a a professional clinical diagnosis uh, with ADHD before being eligible for those types of services? How does that actually work? Sure, there is, you know, I don't know all of the exact regulations, but there is... um, you know, the forms that have to be filed, uh, things from a professional professional evaluation certainly makes the process uh, much easier. 
so it is more than uh, going in and saying, um, you know, I'd like to have extra time on the exam. All of us would like to have extra time. Um, now, there are some, you know, kind of studying time management things that students can just uh, go in and take advantage of, right? You don't need a formal diagnosis to talk with a counselor, get, you know, some strategies for mindfulness, or those sorts of things. But to get, you know, the formal, like, I'm going to, you know, take, get more time on this test. And sometimes students get 100% more time. Like if it's a two-hour exam, they get an extra two hours, right? Those kind of things have to go formally through our university offices. Okay. Well, we've got about another minute before we have to wrap up the show. And Jackie, I want to give you the last word. I'm thinking of somebody listening right now to our show, and they suspect that maybe they have ADHD or they exhibit some symptoms. What's the first step that they need to do? Well, talk to your doctor, number one, because you're probably connected to a medical doctor. Talk to them, and they can refer you to a psychologist or a mental health provider. And don't delay because it's treatable and you can feel better soon. Well, we have now reached the end of the hour, and I would like to say thank you to our guests, Dr. Jackie Vorpel, Dr. Larry Chavis, and Dr. Alan Ospie for an insightful conversation on adult ADHD and its impact on Native Americans. Join us next week for another enlightening lineup of discussions about Indigenous issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. We had help today from Roman Garcia. Show McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. And Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. And I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Have a great weekend. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. First baby, don't know where to start? CMS programs cover prenatal services. Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Elahqua. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.